0: You're listening to The Nerve, an English at WIT podcast. we're delighted to welcome author Danielle McLaughlin who gave us a seminar on social justice this morning and also provided a really interesting creative writing workshop later on in the morning um, after a much deserved cup of tea. She just about got a cup of tea in as well. So Danielle has recently edited a collection of stories by writers who have or are at, at some stage in their life um, have had one foot in the legal profession and the result is something quite thought-provoking and innovative. Um, this collection Counterparts is available from. The Stinging Fly and all proceeds go to the Peter McVerry Trust, which underlines Danielle's commitment to social justice. Um, We were also kind of commenting amongst ourselves about uh, your fantastic collection, Dinosaurs and Other Planets, Um, and she is a very active writer and teacher. Um, Also joining us in the studio are Margaret O'Brien, a lecturer in creative writing, so a lot in common there, Um, and also second year English student Dylan Phelan and third year English student Brandon Collins. So thank you very much for joining us. We're delighted to have you, Danielle. Um, thanks an awful lot to, to agree for agreeing to be part of this as well as doing your seminar and the workshop. You're really, really good to, to do this. Oh, it's this it's in. lovely to be here. Thanks. Well, you're great. Um, so I just want you to, to ask you, first of all, a little bit about getting published. I know it's maybe not something that we talked very much about this morning, how have you, you know, coming from the legal profession and you told us this morning about how, um, you know, you worked in the legal profession for a long time as a solicitor and then you moved into writing after, you know, um, circumstances beyond your control kept you from working in the legal profession. So um, how did you go about that kind of first step into getting published, which can be a very daunting step for new writers? How long did it take?
1: I was writing for or attempting to write for a couple of years, I think, before I had anything in print, and that was partly because when I started out, I was working by myself at home and I was submitting very little work. And also, I didn't know how to edit or improve my own work. So after a while, I joined um, some writing workshops and I met the people who are still today my writing group. So we formed a writing group that continues to this day. And it was then that I started learning elements of the craft of writing and also being in a group, there was that momentum, you know, when everyone else sending work out, there is that encouragement to send your work out too. And when other people are being rejected, it's not so bad when you're being rejected yourself. <laughs> it makes rejection seem easier. We're, you know, we're dealing with rejection as a group and it's just something that's part and parcel of the writer's life. And it helps us to keep going, I think working together and yeah. meeting twice a month as a group. So I I had some short stories published. I had a couple of stories published in the Stinging Fly magazine. And then Declan Mead, the editor of The Stinging Fly, asked if I would be interested in working towards a collection. And it was a couple of years before I actually had the stories ready for a collection. So Dinosaurs and Other Planets was a good number of years in the making. Yes.
0: And that's that's really encouraging, I think, isn't it, to young writers who are at the beginning of their career or at the beginning of dipping their toe into the writing process, because, you know, that idea that you have to leave yourself a little bit of space and time to grow is is something that's really important we probably can't as we as i found out very quickly this morning you can't just put pen to paper mm. and expect something to you know appear on the page that makes perfect sense it doesn't very often um so yeah i know that our our students have done a little bit of creative writing with Margaret as well and, and mm-hmm. that's something that we try to foster here um, when students are studying English at WIT. I'm sure Margaret that there was probably a lot of um, the messages coming from Danielle this morning that you were nodding furiously <laughs> in agreement with were not there?
2: Yes it was lovely to hear <laughs> Danielle endorsing things that I try to get across in the creative writing classroom and it's a, it's a great um, thing to have on the, the English degree here in WIT it's not, it's not too common yet, really, that we have creative writing uh, as part of an English degree in uh, third level colleges. Not every IT has it. And I think it's really good for students because they're, a lot of the time, maybe 80% of the time, they're being, you know, they're acting as analysts and um, critiquing uh, works uh, of literature. But they get to the other side of the door in the creative writing class um, and experience what it's like to um, create something and the challenges that are involved in that. And hopefully it gives them uh, not only a sense of their own creative selves, but also a deeper appreciation of the literature that they study in all the other modules uh, over the three years and on beyond that, too. So, yeah, absolutely.
0: I think that idea of context really comes through, doesn't it, Um, in in counterparts? The idea of being able to contextualise the role of literature, the role of fiction Within the wider world, because um, for those people maybe who haven't heard of counterparts, would you it, give us a little bit of a synopsis of, of what it is, um, what the concept behind it was, which you did so beautifully this morning. So sorry for asking you to repeat yourself. But just for anybody who's listening who maybe wouldn't be aware of it. um, What was the concept behind this where you bring the law into contact with literature? So Counterparts is a
1: collection of work by writers who have a legal background. So we have writing, uh, we have short stories, poetry, drama, essays by judges, solicitors, barristers, legal academics and The idea came to me from my own experience of studying law and reading the law reports because I always found them so fascinating in terms of the stories that they contained. So I thought, you know, there are so many of us lawyers writing in Ireland at the moment. I thought, let's bring law and literature together and we can have a very nice collection of work that is themed around Law reports.
0: Yeah, and that's something that was really interesting to me because I feel like I'm so far removed from, you know, legal writing and the detail that you that you were talking about that's so specific to legal writing is something that is almost like, for me, reading maths, I feel like, you know. Some of it, some of it, not, not all of it. But, but I did really enjoy this morning the way you talked about specifics. So, you know, just would you reiterate that the idea of what we can take from writing that maybe seemingly might be a little bit alien to us.
1: Specifics are one of my obsessions. I think (laughs) I'm constantly talking about them. But there's something that can lift a piece of writing so much and infuse it with so much energy and character because I think We don't live our lives in generalities. We all live our lives in specifics. So we shouldn't ask the characters in our fiction to live their lives in generalities either. And I love how law and legal language really appreciates the importance of specifics. And there's something I think that can be harvested from language that is strange to us and a little bit alien to us. And there are those words that we can take from one context and put into another and see what happens with them. So I like the way that legal language has such, I suppose, a sense of the importance of individual words and
0: individual phrases and the power of words. Yeah. And one that you mentioned this morning, was it Um, John, was it John Mee? Was it that the, the author that, yeah, you tell us a little bit about that, because, I mean, there are so many interesting um ideas in this book. And, and I love the way that you can take inspiration from something like a legal judgment or a ruling and then work it into a, a story that maybe is only tenuously linked in some cases. And then in other cases, really takes the language of that judgment and, and creates of it Literature, you know, um, and and he's, his poem is is one of those. Yeah,
1: John Mee is a poet and he's also a professor of law at University College Cork. And he has a poem in the anthology called Wreckage. And it's inspired by a legal case that relates to the drowning of a family. And there were legal questions that arose in relation to who had died first and who had died last and related to who was going to benefit under a will. And what John did was he went to the the judgment and he used words and phrases that he harvested from the evidence of the case and he built into a poem. So the poem is entirely constructed out of words and phrases that are taken from the evidence in the case, telling the story in a very beautiful way and sad way of this shipwreck.
0: Yes, and I have it. I just opened it while you were talking there (laughs) because I thought it might be nice to to hear a little bit of it. So this is Wreckage by John Mee. Wreckage. Breathed a few seconds, the longer at the bottom of the sea, so as to come up again. The husband had his wife in his arms, hauled myself over on the weather quarter. He could not call asphyxia death. The two boys were holding on to the mother, little pieces of wood in the water. Captain Butterworth sung out, For God's sake, look here, in their nightclothes, grabbing for or trying to lay hold of one of her boys when the water came up to my knees, being picked up and having a decent burial, heavy over on her starboard beam ends. I do not think they were separated westward of Beachy Head, standing together on the side of the ship, a pepper and salt shooting or mourning coat, the husband with the wife in his arms. And it goes on. I won't read all of it. But I mean, that's really extraordinary, isn't it? To think that that was the language that was that was used.
1: Yes, yeah, so there's fabulous details there, and there. They are all facts that came from that case. And I just think it's amazing the the history of centuries that's contained in the law reports you know I I say to students don't ever be stuck for an idea for something to write about as long as you're you're near a law report because just open those books and they're the most amazing details of people's lives
0: Yeah I mean Brandon what did you feel this morning did you that idea of focusing on specifics and and being able to take inspiration from maybe unlikely places did did any of that really speak to you did you feel like you learned something interesting I
3: feel invigorated afterwards it was a tremendous this lecture, it really was, um, because I'm minor in law, as you may know, uh, Counterparts 2 hit me up, let me know, when that's coming out. <laughs> and there's so much when you're reading through the case files for a, for an essay or for an exam and you're thinking in your head, this could be a motion picture, this could be an episode of CSI. If you've ever seen Cold Case, you'll adore this collection because it's a, it's a compilation of individual episodes pieced together. It's like getting a, a box set for Christmas. It, it's really a tremendous <laughs> compilation between... Two, two different worlds that don't often intersect and by bringing them together you're creating something entirely new and entirely unique. And I think it's it's absolutely wonderful.
0: I think you need to get some of um, Brandon's comments on the front of the next collection. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> and what about you yourself, Brandon? Like, have you ever used any of those kind of legal cases that you've looked into as the source of your writing? Because I know you do a bit of writing yourself.
3: Ah, uh, yes. Check out my new poem in Crossways magazine. <laughs> um, yeah, 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 yeah. Shameless plugs. Uh, un- unbelievable. I'm, I'm relentless. Uh, a bit morbid, but especially in the... Um, in criminal law, you get some ridiculous ideas for for cases and murders and 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 um, collusion. Cause I I write a lot of genre fiction, uh, fantasy, horror, sci fi, and. You can plug a lot, a lot of juice. You can squeeze a lot, a lot of, a lot of ideas from these case files. It's, it's yeah. absolutely unbelievable. Maybe we should add in
2: here that uh, Brandon's doing his ILS dissertation on creative writing. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So so that's, that's
0: our kind of final year project, which is like yeah. an inter- independent literary study. So students can opt to take it, or, or yeah. in some cases they don't. But um, yeah, so Brandon is doing his in creative writing. So yeah. yes, yeah. there's lots of ideas. I'm sure that you're going to take <laughs> yeah. from today. Yeah. That you're going to be reading. Really I have a few already.
3: actually. Yeah. I won't <laughs> give them away just yet, but they're yeah. in there.
0: I don't doubt it. <laughs> um, what about you, Dylan? So, um, I suppose another angle that that um, Danielle spoke about this morning was the whole idea of social justice and and the role of the writer in um, kind of drawing attention to to issues of social justice. Did any of that kind of chime with you at all? I know we like we talked about homelessness, didn't we? On one of our yeah, previous yeah. English days, actually, we had the poet John Ennis down and he he was talking to us as well a little mm. bit about that topic. Um, so it is something that we've touched upon before. But yeah, what were your thoughts?
4: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's very interesting just the way that when we're presented with just facts and figures in a very kind of a cold, calculated way, Form of writing, as I'm sure you've encountered in, in in the um, legal profession, it you very often don't feel the kind of human element behind that, and it's interesting too. Um, just what even in a kind of you know historical context, I remember I was watching um a entertainment series on on the First World War last week, and about the battle of the Somme, where there was over one hundred thousand people killed, just in the single day of fighting, like, and it's just a number to you, do you know? but when you can add a story element to that and make it very much more personal like <clears throat> it really brings home what those the, like those figures are actual lives and these people in the accounts in counterparts they're actual people and they have mm-hmm. stories behind those figures and I was going to ask you actually as well do you personally find that there's greater power in fiction and maybe art as a whole for for social change as opposed to law
1: um I'm somewhat torn on that because mm-hmm. I suppose I've never been able to completely leave law behind. And I so. do believe in law as um, a great, I suppose, force for possible social change. I think there are times when fiction is what's required and there are times when mm. a legal action is what's required. You know, sometimes we need poems, sometimes we need a writ. So I believe in both of them. I think I wouldn't say that either is better than the other, but there are times when one might be better suited to a particular occasion. So I like to think of them as almost in a way doing the same kind of job and that you're bringing about results by carefully crafted words. But um, sometimes that's done with a legal document and sometimes it's done through of course, fiction yeah. mm. and i think you're right that fiction can go places where statistics can't go and mm. sometimes we need fiction to make that that human connection i think that's so connection
4: kind of two sides of the same kind almost in that like maybe fiction brings home the kind of theoretical change like in you know within the person like as a kind of a can, can change in mindset but then we need the legal action as well to actually enforce those policies
1: Yes, I think so. And fiction can, yeah, fiction will, I suppose, connect with some people who would simply not be open to reading statistics Mm. or figures. And it can have that, I suppose, that emotional connection that sometimes is necessary for people to to look into a situation more deeply.
0: Have you ever written like you were talking this morning Danielle about kind of engaging directly with issues of um social justice in in writing is not necessarily the the project of the writer you know the, the, the what the only duty that they have is to write you said um did you have you ever kind of taken a theme and said okay I'm going to not that I mean I know you said this morning it, it tends to take over if you do that for for your in your writing but would you like be interested in in taking part in an anthology like something that the Stinging Fly brought out about homelessness. So like, would you? Is that something that you have done? Because I haven't actually read that collection, so perhaps you're in it, and which I'm embarrassing myself. But um, <laughs> you know, is that something that that you're interested in doing or have done?
1: Um, the Stinging Fly produced an issue, the homelessness and housing issue, where they asked for submissions on the theme of housing and homelessness. I wrote an essay rather than a piece of fiction for that. okay, For that issue. When I was approaching directly the issue of housing and homelessness, and I found myself very angry um, about the topic, I found that essay was the way I needed to go. um, Even though some of my essays refer back to to fiction and story, but they were in, in essay form. Mm. I have tried in the past to take a particular issue and write a short story about it. So something in the news that angered me. And I would say, right, I'm very angry about this. I'm going to write a short story about this. I'm going to do my bit as a writer and address this. And those stories just haven't worked out for me. Mm. Um, I find I have to approach my story more At a slant, and maybe it's more through character and setting rather than a direct plot. So if I'm very angry about something, I may be able to write a nonfiction piece, but it rarely works out as a short story. I think the material will find its way... um, filtered and written and rewritten and it will find its way maybe into a number of separate stories and bits and pieces will make their way into my work. But if I sit down with a particular topic um, and say, yeah, write something to tell people about this, it, it usually doesn't work
0: for me. And I suppose maybe, you know, you, you were talking this morning as well about leaving space for the reader to come in and, and sometimes maybe... Hinting at something that's that's you know connected to a character's living situation or their are there concerns around that, is maybe enough that we we can impute the you know the, the, the rest of it or or kind of consider the rest of it, um, outside of the bare bones of the story that's there. So I suppose there are other options available, um, to the writer maybe, um, I yeah I
1: think so. Again, this is and I I'm coming back to my specifics obsession, but this is where we can. Give the reader, you know, a number of specifics about a character's life situation, and leave the reader then to engage with that, which maybe means that the reader will arrive at a deeper understanding than if we sat down and said, "Hey, reader, listen to this. You know, I'm mm. telling you what yeah. the story is."
2: And if I could <laughs> come in on that, you're sitting down. Uh, this piece in in um, the collection Counterparts, "The Man Who Sat Down on the Street," uh, by yes. Stephen Darcy Collins, and. It's so powerful. It's, 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 uh, spe- it's based in a specific place, Grand Parade, Cork. And it's the experience of somebody sitting on the street for the first time and how you do it. And it's so, um, it's written in the second person um, as well, which is a difficult thing to, to carry off. Uh, but maybe I'll just read the, f- the opening of it. Um, you want to sit down. You need to sit down. And although you've been walking since morning, this has nothing to do with making use of one of Cork City's designated rest areas. This is more about taking a weight off your shoulders than a load off your feet. You've decided on impulse to sit down on the street where you stand. The urge has been growing in you for a while. For a while now. It reminds you of wanting to shout and in... Sorry. And... Shout out in me. Sorry, I don't have my ass. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when you're a boy, As the entire congregation uh, bowed their heads for a solemn blessing. You wanted to interrupt the silence. The temptation to hear your voice uh, echo around uh, the knaves was delicious. And on it goes really, very slowly paced writing, giving you the complete sensory experience. And through the sensory experience, you get the emotional experience. Of what it must be like to actually make the decision. Not even to make the decision. But this is what you have to do. This is all that is left to you. Is take up space. Get wet on the street. Mm. Um, and it's just such a powerful piece of writing.
3: I just wanted to ask, right, because you spoke uh, very plainly and very clearly uh, in such a magnificent way earlier about being porous in writing. And I thought that was such a fantastic word for it. Because I've always had it explained to me as the iceberg principle where you have a little bit above the surface and there's so much uh, that isn't shown directly to the reader. But the term porous, it it really implies that the reader fills themselves into the hole uh, that's left by the by the author intentionally for this purpose. And it's such a great, such a great concept that all writers should really take to heart that they should leave holes because there's nothing that stirs engagement like like allowing the reader to impose themselves and their situation onto the characters and letting them grow and feel and live independently of what the author dictates within the text. And I was thinking while you were saying it that um, law is a lot like English in that strategic omission goes a long way. You (laughs) you can get a lot out of what you don't say. Absolutely, (laughs) yeah.
1: I love that term, strategic (laughs) omission.
0: And it was Elizabeth Strout, I think, that you were quoting. Elizabeth
1: Strout um, had the porous words and I thought it was just... So Perfect, won- so it? wonderful, yeah, because it is about leaving these gaps for the reader yeah. to come into the story.
0: I mean, cast your memory back to first year when we were reading Wolfgang Iser and his gaps and <laughs> indeterminacies. Exactly, everyone, yeah. I'm sure you all remember it very well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, is there is there a favorite favorite entry in the collection of yours, Danielle? I don't have a favorite in
1: the anthology because I think they're all so different and yeah, they, they all do very different things and. All the writers took very different approaches. So some of them took an image or a phrase and used it as a jumping off point. Other people like John Mee and his poem Wreckage worked very closely with the wording of the judgments. There is a drama in there, a consultation between an accused and his barrister. Um, so there's lots of there's something for everyone there I think, and they're all um, different, and they approach the the legal judgments in different ways that I think
0: are very interesting. Yeah, Margaret, um, you know when we were talking about the idea of homelessness earlier, mm. when you're teaching the creative writing, um, and I know you do some of the things that Danielle was doing this morning, the uh, the prompts. You did it. We mm. had we had a, a staff mm. English meeting one time, which was out in Una Keeley's house, <laughs> and we sat we sat out the back, and it was sunny, and we there was tea and scones that Una had made and Margaret brought a little box full of items and, and in there was a little spool and a pencil and a whatever all sorts of pieces of string and she gave us all, this is after we had discussed I think, was It was before or after we discussed nitty gritties of kind of boring I think academic it was before. I, think we, I think we went for the Icebergs.
2: creative bit first <laughs>
0: <laughs> and we all sat down and we, we had to mm. we had to write a little bit about them and describe them and, and put them into a story and it's something that's really mm. uh, such a brilliant way to to spark creativity you know we really felt energised by it do you kind of avoid that whole idea of giving a theme like you know like we were talking about homelessness or whatever do you, or do you oh. sometimes give those types of prompts at all are they too big do you think yeah are they too intimidating yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm with Danielle on the specifics <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> closing down I mean we spoke about it yesterday Monday uh, in class did not remember um, you know um, give, give something tangible uh, the world comes to us um, in images and specific things, um, so I'm very much in favour of allowing people to, you know, trust the pen. I don't even say trust yourself; trust the pen, because the less thinking you do, the better. The more you're going to generate something freely, and uh, at least get a first draft out. Unless you've got a first draft, you have nothing to work with. So you really got, uh, I believe, uh, well, what I attempt to do anyway uh, is to create the conditions where people feel safe. Yes. Safe enough to take risks. Mm. Um, it's not safe in a mollycoddling way, but it's safe enough to take risks, and uh, that people can put their voice out there. I try and encourage people, even if they don't want to read their own work, that they would respond to somebody else who has, you know, taken the, you know, the risk of reading something they've just written, and they m- may hardly realise what they've written. They've had no chance to go over it or um, think about it at all. So uh, to use your voice in the classroom. And it's always for me, it's always about writing, but it's always about more than writing, too. It's about a lot of other things. Um, it's about people gaining their voice and finding that they have something to say. And it comes out in the weirdest ways sometimes. I mean, I know myself by the time, you know, I start something, by the time I get to the end of the page, I'm somewhere I never expect it to be very often. Uh, or I, I didn't realise I was thinking about that or thinking like that even, you know, yeah. and you've got to allow that. Kind of creative thing to spill out, um, but it won't if there are too many constraints in place. Um, the editing part has to come later, yeah, because we can't create and edit at the same time. Uh, one, you know, would we'll pull against the other. Um, so if you can create and and do it for yourself first of all. Um, obviously we have to, to walk this fine line here we're on an academic programme and students here have to be assessed at the end of it uh, but it's about you know allowing the students as much as possible to be their own creative selves mm. and then to make the best craft that in the best way that will suit that student so it's um, there's a lot of to and froing and kind of trusting the process about it as well. Um, you know, I have to go over a lot of things that I might bring into other classrooms, yes. <laughs> other subjects. Uh, but I was very, very, very fortunate uh, years ago to uh, encounter the work of Pat Schneider in the States. And I've been to the States and trained with Pat. And uh, her philosophy about writing has really informed everything that I do here and beyond wherever I might um, take a creative writing group and also about allowing people the space to have their voice. You know, when I run open mics and things like that, I'm really keen to get people in who may not ever have thought of themselves as having permission to do that kind of thing. Yeah. And very many people don't believe that they have something to say or they're silent. They're not just silent, but they're silenced in many ways. Uh, so I'm very interested in enabling you know, creating conditions
0: for that. Yeah, and I know uh, that's something that you do as well, Danielle, isn't it? So you were talking about, you know, you you work within similar constraints down in UCC, I think, with some emerging writers you were saying earlier on. Um, Do you find that, I mean, because I I didn't get a chance to ask you earlier on, but um, that idea about deadlines, it sounds to me, when you were talking about the law, um, it sounds like, you're you're pretty good with a deadline are <laughs> you like a deadline you know you were talking about how you're used to you're not used to sitting around in endless meetings discussing you know art space projects or something that you're used to kind of saying well i'm going to write you a legal letter and if you don't reply in 7 days i'm going to <laughs> you got to get the high court onto you um so i kind of got the sense i bet you i bet she's really good with deadlines um <laughs> do you find that deadlines is something you know within You know, teaching students creative writing or trying to get those voices to emerge that on the one hand, it's a problem to have that structure around you if you're trying to be creative. But on the other hand, maybe it's a good kick in the pants sometimes. I think
1: deadlines can be useful, especially when writers are starting out, because if you choose a deadline, for example, a submission deadline for a journal or a competition, you have that date that you know you're working towards and you're going to let your work go out into the world at that point. So I found those kind of deadlines were very useful to me starting out because it gave me something to work towards and say, okay. going to send my work out into the world sometimes when i'm talking to students i discover that they almost never send their work out and that kind of saddens me because there's so much good writing Mm. that is Mm. you know sitting at home in a copybook or on on Mm. computer and it's not going out into the world Mm. and i think often it's about making those first early steps, kind of the the bravery of sending out the first couple of pieces. And it's also I, about
2: having your own support group. I mean, you mentioned yeah. your own writing group and I have people that I'm accountable to as well. Like we will send something on the first of the month <laughs> come hell or high water. And you know it's not going any further than this other one or two people but it means I get it done.
0: Yes. You know?
2: well, I was and there's the potential for it to go further after that.
0: I was amazed at how open the students were this morning to reading their own work. I was kind of covering mine my hand. <laughs> <laughs> but I was I was amazed like were, were you guys surprised that there was you know there was so much willingness to share.
3: I was in the back trying not to make eye contact. <laughs> really? I, I, just, I just didn't want to be noticed.
0: Yeah it's funny I mean there were a lot of people who were very yeah. open. Did you did you put up your hand Dylan?
4: I did, uh, but I did a chance because there were so many others as well who had... Um, it was a great response, actually, to the um, to the exercise. And I just think as well, like what Margaret was saying earlier, it's just amazing how much you can actually write when you start to physically write. Yes. <laughs> like, I remember, and like what you were saying too, about that little box that Margaret brought over to Oona's house. Yeah. was it, the first class or, or second class we, we might have had for the creative writing module, where you brought in, just, you know, a similar little box of just random little objects. And... Um, I, I picked up just a letter A um, f- f- from the box and just literally thought, what can I write about a letter A? But you start to write and you end up writing about something that's been on your mind since, since last week or mm. just truly active, actually putting pen to paper, you mm. think of something, you know? Mm. And that space is very good as well where it's very kind of, it's open and supportive and it's creative <clears throat> and it takes away the kind of the anxiety almost mm. of... Reading what you've just written, Do you know, with and the that, capital yeah. A. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I thought you know, and and this is something about the English days that we hold each semester. Like there seems to be this nice emerging confidence and safety in that. In the group of people that arrive, they're willing, I think, to open up a little bit and maybe try something different or mm. jump around or pretend to be trees or whatever we might be doing that day. Um, and I think it's it's really great for us to see that. Um, just to end, Danielle, I was just wondering what you're working on now, what you're working on for, you know, what's coming up next. For
1: well, you. I'm just finishing the edits on a novel that started out in Waterford in a workshop in 2012 with a writing prompt with a random object really? in a class that Nuala O'Connor gave. <gasps> so I have that was 2012. So obviously I've been rewriting it for a long time. It took it took a long time before I figured out what was happening with the book. But, yeah, I'm just finishing that novel now. Can you give
0: us any taste or what's it about? Are we allowed to ask?
1: Well, I'm not going to say too much about <laughs> it, um, but I will say it does feature a sculpture called the Chalk Sculpture. And for years, I thought, well, that would be the title. And now it turns out that there are lots of similar titles out there. Oh, right, <laughs> Who yeah. knew? So I may have to rethink my title for it, but it's set mostly in Cork, between Cork City and West Cork. And it features a middle-aged um, female protagonist. So, <laughs> so I draw on lots of little details <laughs> as I always like to do from,
0: from my own life. Oh, right. fantastic. Well, make sure you keep in touch with us and let us know when that's coming out. We're, we're really excited about it already. Um, and thank you so much to everybody, but especially mm. to you, Danielle, for coming and being part of this with us and for doing such a brilliant job this morning with all of our students and for actually creating that lovely space that we had this morning.
1: Well, it was an absolute pleasure. And there was such a nice energy in the room this morning, I thought. And it struck me when you talked about a safe place, Mm Margaret, because I think it's so important that we're writing from a safe place. I think, yes, we draw on lots of maybe dark experiences Mm -hmm. that might have happened to us, but it's important that we're writing about Mm -hmm. them in a place where we... Feel safe, so I yeah. thought there was a, a lovely energy with with the group of writers yeah. this morning, yeah. and it was lovely the way people participated. It was so fantastic, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: And on that lovely, positive note, I'm going to say thank you very much to everybody for joining me, and uh, we will see you all soon, some more than some sooner than others. <laughs> <laughs> and Danielle, absolutely best of luck with everything in the future. Thank you Thanks very so much. much. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you. Thank you.